Good morning. Happy Easter. Good to be with you and to be worshiping with you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much for this day, for this wonderful, amazing, incredible day. And Lord, there is just so much for us to be grateful for today. Lord, we are grateful for the empty tomb, that in that emptiness, God, that we find healing and fulfillment. Lord, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that is not just for him, but for us as well as your sons and daughters. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice on the cross for us, and that he is truly our risen savior. And Lord, we thank you so much for Grace Community Church, for this place and this opportunity to to gather together, to celebrate freely the resurrection, to celebrate your grace for us, for our salvation. Lord, we know that, that this morning we don't celebrate alone, Lord, but there are churches all across the globe that are celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And Lord, we we know that the truth of that is not just for us, but for everyone. And so, Lord, we pray this morning through this service and through the many services and sermons and messages throughout this weekend, Lord, that you would continue to bring people to a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus, that through what happens today around the world, Lord, that many people would come to know and follow you. And Lord, as we look to your word this morning and to its preaching, I pray that you would renew our sense of awe and wonder at your power, that you would humble us with your grace and love and embolden us to reach a world that desperately needs to know that chain-breaking, sin-shattering, life-changing truth of Jesus' death and resurrection. And Lord, it is in the strong name of Jesus that we pray this morning. Amen. Much, Pastor Kevin. I want to welcome you today to Easter at Grace Community Church. And if you're visiting with us for the very first time, I'm Pastor Mike Sigmund, and we're so grateful that you're here, grateful that we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, together in this service. I want to share with you something very wonderful that happened uh, this week in the life of our church and the life of our community. One of the privileges we have in terms of our outreach into the community is to help sponsor Bible to School, which is a once a week Bible class that takes place at Peckway Elementary School. And uh, the 29 children who are part of that program walk across the yard to Life Mennonite Fellowship in West Willow, and we work with Life Mennonite Fellowship members. And uh, our own Bree Taylor leads the Bible to School movement here at Peckway Elementary. And this week, as the gospel was shared, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth about his death and resurrection, 14 of the 29 children responded to the invitation to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives. And we celebrate that truth today. We celebrate what God is doing among us. And last Sunday night, the 
prison ministry team of Grace Community Church that ministers at the Lancaster County Prison experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like they'd not seen before. It was a powerful movement of God. The corrections officer joined in as he talked about his own faith in the Lord Jesus, and the chaplain joined in. And one of those prisoners came to a place where he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And we are so grateful for the ministry that Cindy Feaster has, and Doug Miller and Doug Bragg, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This has been a rich week of God moving and working in powerful ways, and we thank him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I want to take you this morning to the South Pacific Ocean, and some of you would like to go there too, if I pay your way. Uh, There is a spot of land in the South Pacific Ocean that was discovered in 1722 by Dutch seamen, and they discovered it on Easter Day, and so they named it Easter Island. It's a small island, and nothing more than a speck of land in the South Pacific. It actually is 64 square miles. It's 14 miles long. If you want to go there, you can fly into the South American country of Chile, and then you have to take a plane 2,300 more miles to get to here. For those of you who are Tahitian snowbirds, how many of you like to go instead of Florida to Tahiti for January? If you are a Tahitian snowbird, it's 2,600 miles in the other direction to get to Easter Island. You know what's interesting about this island? It's a beautiful island, lush green, surrounded by beautiful crystal blue water. What's interesting about this island is it swells with people, but it only has 2,800 regular residents. This is a visitor's island. You go here and you go back home from here. When I first discovered that there was an Easter island, I couldn't help but to think of the resemblance between Easter the island and Easter the celebration. You see, for many people in our culture and even in the church, the meaning of this day, that Jesus who was dead is now alive, is emotionally charged and it is personally powerful, but it's often restricted to this day, to Easter. And so we reserve this day, we get dressed up for this day, we come to church for this day, and we sing these glorious songs with all kinds of joy and excitement, and somehow don't realize that this same power that we celebrate today is available 24-7, 365 days a year. That this is a special day, but it's a special day that makes every other day in this calendar special as well. The powerful truth that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, so we too may live a new life was never intended by God to be an island. It was always intended to be the mainland of our lives in him. God never intended the good news to be an island we visit, but rather the place where we live. We celebrate on this one day what God wants to do every day in our lives. The truth of the matter is, it is God's will that the story of Easter be the story of our lives, each and every one of us. And so today, we celebrate that power. And we celebrate that power because the very historical event of Jesus' death and resurrection was filled with power. We've been talking about it, but it's worth talking about again. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross not because he had any sin that he had to pay for, My goodness, when Jesus was born, he was born fully God, fully man, yet without sin. When he went to the cross, he went to the cross because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son because God understood that there is not a single thing you or I can do to pay for our own sin. 
that we needed someone to pay for our sin, and that someone needed to be perfect in every way. And Jesus became that one, that sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. And so when he hung on that cross, he bore in himself the sin of the world. In fact, the Bible says he became sin for every one of us. And as he died, he paid the penalty the wages of sin for us. Now, what's really interesting is that as he died on that cross, now hear this, he was in full control. He never lost control. This year I was reading through the crucifixion stories in, in the four Gospels, and it struck me as, uh, as, author John, as author John Stott pointed this out, that never once did the Gospel writers even use the word that Jesus died. They use other phrases to describe how he remained in control. Mark says he, or, uh, yeah, Mark says he breathed his last. It was, it was Matthew who said that, that he gave up his spirit. Luke, who was a physician and was always very careful to be precise, actually recorded the last words of Jesus when he wrote, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But it was John who observed that Jesus bowed his head and then gave up his spirit. Isn't that interesting? You see, when you're hanging on a cross, as I've studied this, usually your head goes down at the moment you die. That didn't happen to Jesus. He bowed his head in reverence and submission and surrender and then he gave up his spirit because he remained in full control until the very end of his life here on this earth. He was laid in a tomb, but Peter tells us Jesus was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. That's interesting. If you're in the medical field, you realize that Jesus, not one of his cells decayed in any way. He absolutely was perfect through it all. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And not only did God raise Jesus from the dead, but Peter tells us in Acts chapter 10 verse 40 that God caused Jesus to be seen. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that he was seen by over 500 people in his resurrection body. Now his resurrection body was unlike any body that we have ever seen. It transcended all the laws of earth, all the laws of gravity, if you will. His body was a glorious and a perfect and a powerful body. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 21 that God raised him from the dead and glorified him. That means his body became imperishable. It became immortal. It became glorious. It became absolutely powerful. Whenever Jesus appeared after his resurrection, it was as if he appeared out of nowhere. And so he, he breaks through a, a, a tomb that has been sealed, and he is risen. He, in John chapter 20, visits with his disciples in a room that is securely locked. And what does he do? He walks in. He doesn't unlock it first. I don't even think he knocked first. Now, that's not something you want to try at home. But, you know, he walks in, and he appears before his disciples. The best story, however, for me is in John chapter 21. I love the story where the disciples are out in a boat, and they are out all night fishing. Now, remember, Jesus has died. He has risen. We are days into his resurrection. They're trying to fish. And you know how many fish they caught that night? Anybody remember that story? Zero. 
Zero. Actually, when we were painting Easter eggs yesterday as a family, I actually painted an egg with this entire story on it. That was kind of fun. And now we're going to eat it. But anyway, that was the story. And you know what? What was really interesting? There is on the seashore a bonfire. And there is a man at the bonfire, and he is clearly cooking fish. And you know who the man is? It's Jesus. Did it ever occur to you to ask, where did he get his fish? They have no fish. Did he get them from the freezer? Of course not. They didn't have a freezer. Where does fish come from? Jesus is Lord. He's able to command the fish to jump into his frying pan, and he's making fish for breakfast. And you know what happens? John says to Peter, that's him. And Peter says, you're kidding. No. And he hikes up his robe and takes off in the water to get to Jesus. It's fascinating. In his resurrection body, they all knew him. They all knew him. Mary Magdala, I have seen the Lord. Thomas, my Lord and my God. The disciples who were on the road to Emmaus that Easter afternoon were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. It is the Lord, John told Peter as Peter hiked up that robe and jumped into the water. It is true. He is risen. If you worship with us regularly, you know that if something appears on the screen in all capitals, that means something. And it means that you're going to shout it with me. It is true. He is risen. Jesus is alive. God raised him from the dead. His death and resurrection are powerful, true events of history. And their impact on our lives is equally powerful. Notice the word I used, equally. Because the power that God exercised in raising Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that he exercises to change our lives from the inside out. That's mind-blowing to me. That is mind-blowing to me. That the Holy Spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives in you if you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. It is not half the spirit. He is not one quarter of the spirit. He is not spirit delegated to spirit. He is the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1 these words, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Easter declares that this same mighty power is available to every one of us every day. God wants us to live life in his power. Now, here's what that means. If you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, by his death and resurrection, your life will be transformed in three ways. Sin will lose its power over you. Death will lose its sting in you. And simply put, the devil will lose you. 
the devil will lose you. Sin loses its power in your life. Every one of us here are sinners. Every one of us. There is not one of us who is without sin. And that is true the world over. We are born with a sinful nature and we act out that sin. If there is any question about that, then read the newspaper. And I know that's a vintage term to read the newspaper. So just follow the news feed, check it out on your smartphone. There is no question about it. The world in which we live is a broken world. It is a sinful world. It's interesting that in the PBS series called Genesis, A Living Conversation, Novelist Mary Gordon got sick of all the political correctness that was flying around the room as religiously diverse leaders tried to tiptoe around the problem of sin in the world. And so she finally spoke up, and when she did, she spoke truth. And this is what she said. People just aren't right. Now, that's a good way to start. People just aren't right. There is something fundamentally wrong with us that we cannot fix ourselves. What is fundamentally wrong with us? sin. And not one of us here or the world over has the ability or the power to fix sin. It is why God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice for our sins, to go to the cross in my place, in your place, and to give his life to die for our sins. You know why? Because according to Romans 6:23, the wages of sin is death. And our God so loved us that he did not want any one of us to die for our own sin. And so he sent his one and only son to die in your place and my place for our sins. Jesus paid the wages of sin, which is death. This is what Romans 6 says about this truth. We know, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Now say it with me. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Say that with me again. Oh, you don't have it up there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm wondering why you're not saying that. Would you say that? I was looking down and you were looking up and you didn't see what I saw. Well, here we go again. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the good news today is that God has forgiven your sin. At the very moment that you believed in and trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, at the very moment that you exercise faith as a gift from God to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, at that moment, in the throne room of heaven, God declared you righteous, not because of any work of your own, but because of the righteous work of Christ. He forgave your sin and washed it away by the blood of Jesus Christ. At that very moment, according to the Bible, God canceled the record of the charges against you for your sin, and he took away your sin. Now, I love this. Paul says this in Colossians 2, as if by nailing it to the cross of Jesus. That's where your sin went. And at that very moment, 
when he declared you righteous and forgave you of your sin, you know what else happened? He sent his Holy Spirit to take up residence in your life. Now, this is cool. I mean, this is like beyond cool. This is like off the chart. This is incredible. This is the incredible greatness. This is the same mighty greatness. Listen, I'm at my fourth service, so I can keep going on and on. And I am so excited about this because there is no power other than the power of the Holy Spirit that is able to free us from sin. The power of the Holy Spirit is resonant in you because at the moment of salvation, God sent his spirit to take up residence in your life. He is not half the spirit. He is not one quarter of the spirit. He is not a delegated spirit. He is the exact same spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And you ought to say amen to that because that's the truth. That's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, I want you to see what God says in Romans chapter 8. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And because the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, you do not need to let sin control your life. You do not need to give in to sinful desires. And so if you're sitting here today and you're a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives in you, listen, listen to me. Ask Jesus for the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome whatever sinful habits you are struggling with. Cry out to him, ask him, because the same spirit and power that raised Jesus is in you and available to you to overcome whatever sin may have had its hold on you. But that's not all. There's more. Sin loses its power over you. But I want to tell you today, death loses its sting over you too, now and forever. I've always liked what founding father Benjamin Franklin wrote, our new constitution is now established. Everything seems to promise that it will be durable, but in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. Now, here's the deal. If you haven't already, by Tuesday, April 18th, isn't that generous of the federal government? They've extended from April 15th to April 18th. We ought to send thank you notes to the federal government for that. That we do not have to pay our taxes until April 18th, but... Every one of us will have to pay taxes. And if you owe, you need to pay taxes. I'm not sharing this as a public service announcement. I'm simply sharing this so you do what's right and don't end up in jail. Every one of us has to pay taxes. But every one of us will also die someday. Can't escape either one. So the question today is this. Do you know where you're going? when you die. When Jesus died and rose again, he blazed, he blazed, he actually blazed a new trail <laughs> through death, came out on the other end. It's called eternal life. It's an incredible trail. It was imperishable. It was immortal. It was glorious, and it's eternal. Here's how the Apostle Paul enthusiastically describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he writes these words, and this is actually a summary of Good Friday and Easter he says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Now, here you have it in front of you. Let's go. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you can know that you know that you know that you know that when you die, you will live forever with Jesus in heaven. Let me tell you something about that moment. The moment of death to your presence in Jesus is not like a minute. It is not even 30 seconds. I don't even think it's a second. I think it's a millisecond. You breathe your last and you immediately, if you know Jesus, wake up in his presence and you look at him, I die. I don't know, in that video, did you catch that, that moment when you saw the hand of Jesus and the scar? I wonder sometimes, will I see the scars of the one who gave his all for me? A millisecond. Peter, who witnessed the resurrected Christ, put a pen to paper years later in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he wrote this, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, oh, I love this. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, believing in his crucifixion, resurrection, you live with a great expectation. I'll just tell you today, I don't want to die right now. I, I don't. I, I want to, I have one daughter married. I have three daughters. And if the Lord wills, I want to be here to see them married. I'm holding out for that moment when tradition changes and the groom's family has to pay the other half of the wedding. But <laughs> we have some time. I'm hoping that comes. I want to get them married. I want to see that. I want to watch my grandchildren grow up. I would love to be at their high school graduation. I would love to live long enough to see some of them married, and I'd love to be a great-grandpa someday. I want to live to be 100 years old. I want my kids to push me in a wheelchair up and down the hills at Rollinsville camp meeting. <laughs> but I am thinking about motorized because I'm afraid they'll let go of me on the way down. <laughs> and I do like to remain in full, firm control. <laughs> Yesterday, our daughter Carolyn was home from Philadelphia for Easter, and we were talking, nobody else was there at the moment, and we were talking together, and she asked us about a will, and what a will is, and should she have one, and do we have one, and we said yes, and explained that, and she said, well, who's the, who's the executor of your will, and we explained that, and I said, well, you know, here's the deal, you'll take care of the business side, and uh, I want Katie to take care of everything that I've collected in the basement, because she's sentimental, and I know who you are, Carolyn. You're like more with less. The dumpster will be there before I'm in the ground right. So uh, we're not going to do that. So we had this great conversation. She said, anything you're concerned about? I said, just been thinking about the meal. I think I might change the cream chip beef on toast. But other than that, I think we're in good shape. So then I go upstairs for just about five minutes. And I come down. And in those five minutes, our oldest daughter, Katie, arrived. And I walked in the living room to say hi to Katie, and she turns around, and, no kidding, this, she looks at me and she says, when you're gone, can I have all the Easter decorations? <laughs> well, hi, nice to see you too. Well, she said, they belonged to Great Grandma, didn't they? I said, yes. I mean, there was a little bit too much great expectation of my demise that was present yesterday in these conversations. But you know what's interesting? 
I know where I'm going. Jenny knows where she's going. The girls know where they're going. And we can talk about these things. And it's not a dour, somber thing. Because we know that someday, we will one day be reunited together in heaven. You know why? Because Jesus died and rose again, death loses its sting now and forever for anyone who trusts in and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved. But there is one more thing. Sin loses its power. Death loses its sting. I love this one. The devil loses us. He loses you and he loses me. Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 gives a powerful description of what God did to the devil through his death and resurrection. God canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, that would be the devil and his demons. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. When Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again in victory, the devil was disarmed and he was defeated. Now listen, one of the principal weapons that the devil uses against us is the weapon of accusation. He's the accuser. And you know what he likes to do? He likes to whisper in our ear. After Jesus has forgiven our sins, washed away our sins, even that sin that for a long time we might have thought would keep us from ever being forgiven, the devil likes to say, are you sure? Don't you think you should be guilty about that? Aren't you ashamed? He whispers in an evil tone to accuse us. Listen, when the devil comes calling, don't answer. Run from him. Flee from him. Don't answer. You know how to do that. Or your smartphones, when the number comes up and you don't know it, you don't answer. I know because I call a bunch of you and you don't answer me the first time around <laughs> till you know who I am. Don't answer him. Don't answer him. Because the power in you is the power of the Holy Spirit. And John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen. You resist the devil. He will flee from you. Now, there's another way that he likes to stir, and it's in this fear of death thing. Look at, at what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Now, listen to this. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Are you living your life as a slave to the fear of dying? Mike, are you sure that you're not afraid to dying? Listen, the only thing that ever crosses my mind is the way that I'll die. And as soon as that crosses my mind, I just put that in the Lord's hands and say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about that. Why would I worry about that right now? No, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to die because I know where I'm going. In this past year, just in the past year, I received three separate phone calls, and each phone call was almost the same. Mike, and they mention a name, is terminally ill and is going to die. 
And he doesn't know, he doesn't know where he's going to go when he dies. And he's afraid. And we told him, we know someone who can help you with that. Now, I'm not the only one, but apparently I was the one who came to mind. In all three cases, I never met the fellow until I walked in the house for the first time or the hospital to meet him. And I shared a story. I got to know the guides, talk a little bit about things that might be common. And then I said, hey, can I share a story with you? Yeah. And the story I shared was the story of Jesus. How he died, how he rose again, how he lives today, what he offers to us in the gospel. And each of those men responded to that story independently of any of my urging and said, that's what I need. That's who I want. And each of them prayed so sincerely to confess their sin and receive Christ as Savior and Lord. And the one man, when he opened his eyes, he said, I feel like warmth from the top of my head to the bottom. I've changed. I'm a different person. Another fellow opened his eyes and he looked at me and said, now I know where I'm going. Now I know where I'm going. Don't ever let the devil stir fear in you. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The devil has lost you. He doesn't have a control on you. Let the spirit of God fill you and move and work powerfully in you. To the Ephesian church, Paul writes this. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Best part of my week is usually around Thursday when those friendship folders that you sign are handed to me in a big stack. And I find time on Thursday and Friday to sit in a chair in my office or a chair at the house. And I just, this is like, other than writing messages, like for the best part of my week, reading every name and envisioning where you were sitting and praying. It's so rich, so wonderful. And this week, the thing that I've actually been praying for for all of you is that you would understand that the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit who lives in you if you're a Christian or is available to live in you if you are not yet a follower of Jesus. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, you are a Christian, you understand that you have power in your life. Romans 8 says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, look at this, you have an obligation to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you are obligated to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't go walking around saying, oh, couldn't help myself. I have no power over that sin. Devil made me do it. No, he doesn't. 
please don't continue to live with a fear of death or an, a lack of assurance. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have an obligation to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what A.B. Simpson, 19th century evangelist and pastor, used to say about Easter? He said, Easter is the New Year's Day of the soul. It's the day when you can look back and give thanks for what God has done and look forward with anticipation and expectation of what God will do. I have a question for you today. Christians, what changes do you need to make in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is there some sin that you've been wrestling with? Because if there is, you've got the power of God to break the power of that already canceled sin. Is there, is there this struggle with the devil? Because if there is a struggle with the devil, you don't need to answer. You can run, and even if you don't run any other time in your life, you have the power to run from the devil. Do you have any question about your eternity? You have the power for the assurance of eternal life. But I want to say this. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, you have an obligation. But if you have not, you have an opportunity. Here's the question. Why would you not put your faith in God's power and begin a relationship with Jesus Christ even today? Why would you not? Why would you not want to live in the power of God 24-7, 365 days a year? Why would you not want to have your sins forgiven, to have the guilt and the shame taken away, to have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, and to actually live with the absolute assurance and the knowledge that when you die, a millisecond later, you'll be in the presence of Jesus. Why would you resist that? Why would you reject that? Why would you not want a relationship with Jesus Christ? And so on this Easter day, let it not be an island, but the mainland of your life. By trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, so that you too can be saved by the power that raised Jesus from the dead, who will take up residence and live with you forever. Let's pray together. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I just want us to focus not on what's going on around us or anything else, but focus solely on who you are in Christ and who he wants you to be. And if you are here today and you do not know for sure that your sins are forgiven, you are not confident that someday you will live forever with Jesus in heaven. You, you do not have that confidence. You do not have that confidence. You do not have that assurance. Then this morning the invitation is for you. It is an invitation to pray and confess your sin, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose again for you, and receive his gift of salvation and new life. 
And if that's your desire this morning, if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, then I invite you where you're seated in the quietness of your heart to pray a prayer of salvation. Jesus, I confess to you this morning that I'm a sinner and that I need you as my Savior. Please forgive me for my sin. Please take it away. I believe, Jesus, that you are Lord. I believe that you died in my place. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you are alive. I decide today, I choose today to follow you as Savior and Lord of my life. As I surrender my life to you, I receive from you the gift of salvation. And I thank you. I thank you for hearing my prayer and making me your child, saving me from my sin. It's in your strong name, Jesus, that I pray. Lord, I thank you that you promise in the word of God that those who sincerely seek you, surrender their lives to you, confess you as Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised you from the dead, will be saved. And that your Holy Spirit will witness to their spirit that they are your children. I thank you that that's taking place even now as people here and online have prayed to receive Christ. But I also want to pray today for every believer that is here and the obligation that you set before us to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you search our hearts and make whatever changes are necessary in our relationships with you. Specifically, Father, I pray that as we look at Easter as a New Year's Day, a time to press a restart button and do things differently than we've done before. Lord, if there are those here who are struggling with a persistent sin habit, a sin that they just previously thought they can't get a hold of and let go of, may today's word from you be the encouragement we need that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power available to destroy that sin habit in our lives. And if there's any believer here who has been pummeled with the accusations, are you sure, are you sure that you're going to go to be with Jesus in heaven? May today be the day of absolute assurance. And if there are believers here who have been visited by the devil and the devil is just really just having a heyday in their mind and their heart, may today be the day that the devil loses them because they refuse by the power of God to let the devil have sway anymore. Father, I pray these things in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Now listen, one more thing I want to say to you. As I read the resurrection passages in the Gospels, I've noticed the prevalence of an exclamation point all over the resurrection passages. You know what an exclamation point is? It's a punctuation that celebrates excitement, that communicates enthusiasm, that's filled with joy. That's what the resurrection of Jesus is. And we are thrilled, full of joy that he has risen. Amen? Stand with me right now. Stand with me right now. 
you have had an opportunity to rest your voice for 35 minutes of my preaching. So there should be no problem for what's going to take place next with a real loud voice. He is risen. He is risen. One more time. He is risen. 